Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And oh, the lives Hulk could have saved with his mighty roar. Am I right? <laughs> so true. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 129, which begins with tossing Tony's mask and ends with not finished yet. Back on the show today, we have author and professor Matthew Costello. Hello, Matthew. Hello. We are thrilled to have you back joining us. Um, you've kind of picked a lot of minutes scattered across the movie, and this was uh, the last solo minute that you've picked for uh, for this season. Is there any particular reason that you picked this minute? There, there are a couple of reasons. Um, one of the things I like about this is it's it's a hero minute, right? It's really set up as a hero minute. Um, it's the kind of, of shot minute that I would use if I'm teaching film in some ways, um, because it's a really busy minute. There are 15 cuts in this one minute. Um, it's almost like peck and paw cuts. Uh, it doesn't look like it, but there really are. There are three shots where the camera moves. They're mostly single head shots, but so it's kind of an interesting minute to look at that way. Secondly, there's my favorite moment in this minute is when tony wakes up and the first thing he says is nobody kissed me did they and then we cut to cap looking kind of questionable I, I think i mentioned before a few years ago i i edited a special issue of a journal of fan studies called transformative works and cultures shout out to them on comic books and one of the papers that was submitted was about slash fanfic involving Tony and Steve. And as a man of a certain age, um, I had no idea what this was and ended up sort of delving fairly deeply into the slash fan fiction of Tony and Steve. And I, I think in some ways that this scene might have been written to talk to those people because there's almost a moment when Steve is looking away and you can almost imagine him saying, no, I didn't, but I wanted to. <laughs> 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 that's very funny because I, I i made a note about that line and i was just like how does that line play but you're right there is an entire audience that i think uh probably this is exactly where all that fanfic comes from and and let's not let's not shy away from the fact that this is exactly something that our fair writer director Tignataro would have done in, with intention, right? To kind of push on that boundary. It's not just a homophobe inside a billionaire industrialist uh, playboy inside a superhero suit, like a turducken of the modern white man. It it really is a play on a legendary catalog of fan fiction about these characters, and I think that. That's funny. I just wonder, <laughs> like, I wonder to to what end the other side of that audience was was taken aback by that line, right? Like, it, it feels like it cuts both ways very precisely. It does, right? It does. And, and there is, there is, of course, within the, the superhero comic book fandom, a, a real misogynist tendency in some ways that shows up a lot. I mean, the whole Marvel Gate issue shows up a lot online, right? Yeah. And so this, you could see how this cuts both ways. You know, I, I, I've, I've read it in a completely different way because of what I've been exposed to over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, to that end, it's, it is kind of a fun little thing to kind of throw in here with these characters. And, uh, you know, it is, as you said, very much this moment among heroes. We've got kind of this uh, this post-quiet. And, you know, I also liked that you brought in just kind of the structure of this. This is kind of, you know, post-climax uh, camera work editing style, everything. Like the thing that I noticed is there is, uh, you know, aside from the cuts, things kind of starting, I mean, there's still 15 cuts, but it is slowing down a little bit from kind of the action cutting that we'd been having. But now we're getting into these moments. And I was like, we've got this, uh, this camera move. Uh, it's, it's like on a boom arm trucking backward as it's looking at the four of them, and it kind of is, it's that slow pull back after a big action victory. And I was wondering, like, as I was re-watching re this, is that move itself becoming just kind of a wrapping everything up cliche camera move to have? And, uh, you know, because I think there's something about that, that slow pull back on a moment of characters that we're getting that just feels it's like it's there's something about it that is kind of creating some closure. Well, it's kind of interesting because the camera moves in three shots and it moves in different directions in each shot. Yeah. In the second shot, it's on Tony's head and it's panning up very slowly. I think on the fourth shot or the third shot when it's doing a the, the four shot of them all, it's sort of curving a little bit to the, the left. It's like back and to the left, back and to the left, but just a little bit. Um, and then about the 15th shot or the, the 13th shot, right, that's when we get that big, the pan out that's a little bit bigger. One of the things I noticed when I was looking at this, and I almost thought about this, with that, that third thing when it's sort of panning back and to the left, is that you're not getting everybody in the fourth shot, right? In the first, the first shot, Thor's cut off at the neck. In the third shot, the Hulk is kind of cut off. And I almost wondered if it was just sort of panning back as the director's kind of saying, like, damn, frame it better. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> because it's almost like almost like twilight framing. I mean, that, that open shot is just, it's wrong. It needs to be a little bit deeper. But the interesting thing also is after you start that pan back to the left, then you start to move from Tony to each face, and you get Tony's perspective. So you get this upward look. So you kind of get that hero perspective. It's that up, right, right through the nose, the Gil Kane drawing. But it's it's also that that hero pose, the skyline behind them, the wind wisping in Pap's hair for, you know, eight seconds before he says we won. Yeah, a little, just the right amount of light on his face. Very, very heroic. I mean, it's not like it's not like a heavenly glow or anything, but there is something about the way that that's lit that feels very it, it has kind of this it's it fitting for Captain America, for Steve Rogers, kind of this quiet victory. And it, you can see it in the way that they actually constructed that shot. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's very well done. I mean, that particular shot so that, you know, by using Tony's perspective, you get more of the hero framing. Well, and there is there is some sort of nod, I think, to like the hero saves the hero moment, right? That that this is this is by some right. A, a better interpretation of the big hero moment that we had a few minutes ago when the camera's panning around the whole crew ready to fight. This is, we are dealing with repercussions of the war that we hath wrought on our city, and we stand by each other, and we've saved one another. Like, that movement of the shot, the first one as it's going down, right, and the, the pan out, or the, the pull out is, makes us feel like, oh god, okay, we lost somebody, right? Like, to Andy's point, we're wrapping it up because we're wrapping up a death. 
But the fact that then we get to come back in on Tony being saved by his own people, right? Let's build more affinity around the team. Let's bring these, these, you know, bring these men closer together. And the first thing they do is make a homophobic joke with one another, right? That's, that's just a very sort of masculine, like grieving and reconciling trope. And um, it, so it, it feels natural. I can see how it, you know, again, as we said, cuts both ways, but it feels like a, a natural way to to kind of acknowledge something horrible has happened and we're through it. But also note that you only have the big four here. You don't have yes. Black Widow or Hawkeye. They're not here. They don't have their own movies, so they don't get here. Right. These, it's the four we're going to be looking at at the moment. And it is a very it's a very male space they create. Right. That heroic space is a very male space. It also, with Tony sort of resurrecting at that moment, sort of sets the stage for what comes later, right? Because Tony was the one who wasn't going to be part of the Avengers. He doesn't care enough about other people. He's too narcissistic. He's right. But he has now like sacrificed himself to save the world. And now he's set up for everything that's going to come after, which is right. What will become probably his, his PTSD that leads him to create Ultron and then right everything else that comes out of that. And and yet on that same point, he keeps trying to sacrifice himself until he gets it right at the end. Right? Like, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> he's, he's, he definitely iterates, right? He's an inventor. So he's just going to keep trying. That's right. That's right. There also is that point with Tony that, I mean, you're talking about that shift of him as far as like seeing himself as part of a team that we're going to have in this film where we literally like just in a couple minutes, we'll see exactly his mental transition of I don't want to be a part of this team to I am not only am I a part of this team, but forget Stark Tower. Now it's going to be um, the team tower. And he actually like it kind of shifts that entire perspective so much that he's really kind of uh, welcoming it all with open arms. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting shift for his character. It sets up a lot to come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at the very start of this minute, I just want to chat uh, real quick about the uh, Thor tossing his mask aside because it's uh, it's definitely an interesting visual. And what I find most interesting about it is that it was very specifically used in the original opening for the film. And I can't remember if we've talked much about this with you, Matthew, but at the beginning, it was originally uh, Agent Hill being interrogated or questioned by the World Security Council about all of these events. And as she's talking about it, she's kind of hinting at the fact that Fury, it was you know his fault for bringing these people together who had no business of working together. And she has a line in there like, heroes fell something like that. And you see a shot of the Iron Man mask just laying on the ground, really kind of hinting that uh, from the beginning, from the original opening of the film, that Iron Man might actually have died. I, it's such an interesting uh, element to have included in the original opening for the film. And, you know, we've gone back and forth as far as like what the different tone for Agent Hill's character, that kind of thread, which we're going to be concluding in uh, a few minutes as we watch the original closing of the film, but what that thread would have kind of created with her character. But still, it's an interesting element to include. I, how does that play? Do you think that it is kind of a mistake to have, um, and, and perhaps why they cut it, but the idea of showing Iron Man's mask laying on the ground right at the start of the film? You like the foreshadowing, right? Yeah. But you don't want to you, you don't want to make people think he's going to die 
and then not kill him. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that would be a cheat to audience. And then the little boy woke up. That just, it wouldn't work. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, that would be a problem. I also, if you're thinking series, and I think at this point, they, they, they were seeing down the road, you're not going to kill him in the first film. No. Right. I'm frankly, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And one of the great crimes Star Trek commits is they keep telling stories where people should die and they don't kill them off. Or they do kill them off and they bring them back. It's a horrible thing, narrative. Yeah, but isn't that by nature like a comic book trope anyway? Because I feel like that happens all the time in comic books. Like they kill a villain only to say, oh, but they found a way to bring that character back because they like those characters and audiences liked them and they don't necessarily want to see them die. I mean, it's so rare for somebody to actually die. Oh, I, I, I agree. I, but it's also such a cheat. Such a cheat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, definitely a joke I have with my son sometimes. One of my sons said, said who is that? I said, well, oh, that's, that's, you know, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern. He said, didn't Hal Jordan die? I said, yeah, but he got better. <laughs> he got better. Um, and that's just sort of the way it I goes. feel happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm all right now. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Not dead yet. Um, so you, at, at some point, right, you, you need particularly when you're telling a story that is is completely fabricated and made up and could not in a million years happen you need to pretend like you're telling it honestly and truly you have to have some kind of truth in there tony's going to die and then tony doesn't die that's not going to work right it's why when tony dies at the end of endgame right it's so much more powerful well i mean and and that's i mean Stepping back from the story itself, do you think that there's inherently an issue with the way that Marvel, the company, and slash Disney has decided to crank these films out so quickly to the point where we knew before this movie came out that Iron Man 3 was already in the works? So we knew Iron Man was going to be back. Where as opposed to like, you know, days in the past, let's just take Star Wars as an example, there were there were gaps between films, like three-year gaps between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So when you think Han Solo dies, you think, wow, Han Solo actually died in that film. You're not actually already in the know. And do you feel like the just the way that the, the industry, that they have structured their um, production cycle is already ruining that for us? He's saying he's asking that because I complain about it all the time. <laughs> There's just no stakes. The sequence that runs you through Endgame, no, I don't think that was a problem because I think by this point they have an arc in mind. They're not necessarily sure where everything's going, but they've got a story arc in mind, and it's it is a story based on all these different films being locked together. And so, yes, I I, I think at that point this is a continuous narrative at a certain point. I think. Con- what's going on right now i think they're cranking things out way too fast right now and i think they're cranking them out willy-nilly and they don't really have that same kind of central vision that they had before star wars you need all that space between them because you don't have that central vision and you know george lucas has to get himself to the point where he can actually talk to human beings again because he doesn't like that very much (laughs) uh he once said he wishes he could make a movie with just cgi Right. If you could just get rid of the actors. And then he made Clone right. Wars. Yeah, which I actually enjoyed probably more than most of them. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I think that there, there's 
you know, I, I, I don't think there's a huge problem then. I think the problem is starting now. And I think it's showing up not only in, in continuity, but it's showing up in quality control as well. Uh, I think they want to ride this bandwagon as long as they can, and they're afraid it's going to run out. Yeah, it's it, you know, it, it's a tricky proposition. I don't think that I have an answer for them. Uh, it's like, I mean, if you slow down, you're going to be upsetting investors and people who are, you know, banking on all of that money to kind of keep growing if you and you know there's still plenty of audience members who really enjoy just the constant flow of that sort of stuff but there's i mean there is as everybody has been talking definitely like this superhero fatigue and i think i i, I think it's going to be inevitable that things are going to have to slow down and it it might take a few box office crashes to get it there if you keep going at this speed without some kind of central focus you turn out you know thor love and thunder yeah, or Ant-Man Quantumania. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's a challenge because this, you know, what does it mean to constitute a, a box office crash? Like, we're not generally fans of Love and Thunder and Quantumania, and yet, you know, it's not like those movies tanked in the traditional sense at the box office. They, they like, they've had to redefine what underperforming is at the scale that they're operating now. And at this point, underperforming does not mean slow down. And so I'm curious to see, like, when does that happen? Does it happen? You know, because we're not we're not there. We're certainly not there. Yeah. Oh, God, no. No, not quite. Oh, not God. quite. Well, let's uh, get back on track with this particular film. Um, there was a note I had uh, early on in this minute right after the mask toss when we're still in that shot i found it to be so funny that steve <laughs> puts his ear to tony's chest as if he can hear a heartbeat through the suit you I, try stuff man I, you gotta try stuff you're steve rogers you try stuff hey but, super oh, hearing yeah <laughs> right how long has he been around right i mean this is he, he died in 1945 he woke up like last week now suddenly <laughs> really from around the world uh, How does he not know he can't hear through the heart? Through, through, <laughs> through yeah, the right, exactly. Exactly. I also think it's funny that Steve or that Tony's suit, the suit moves so well naturally with his body. But I find it interesting that in this particular moment, and I don't know if it's because the suit itself is also kind of powered down, but it is so stiff that like his head doesn't lean back to touch the ground. And there's something about the way that he looks. And I don't know if it's because the suit does that or just the way that his face comes through. But I, I always I, I never can buy that Robert Downey Jr. is supposedly dead in this particular moment here he always it always looks like an actor. And I, again, I just don't know if it's because it, it's also awkwardly, you know, it's in this suit. I just can't tell. I'm going to say something that's going to offend somebody. But to me, this minute always reflects to me the MODOK minute, because that's what his face looks like in the frame of the suit. He looks like <laughs> MODOK. <laughs> they did the same thing uh, as they're floating around Ant-Man. And uh, uh, I think it's very, very funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I hadn't noticed the neck thing until this morning when I was watching the scene again, and it was like, it's like he's in an iron lung. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, it's exactly Without right. any head support at all. I mean, his next guy killing him right there. But I hadn't thought about the MODOK thing. Okay, when MODOK is created, like in the early 70s in Captain America, he is terrifying. Absolutely yes. 
terrifying. Gigantic creature created by AIM, right? It's just terrifying. And everything they do with Modoc in the films and the cartoons, he's, he's, I don't know, he's funny. He's like Herbie from the old Fantastic Four cartoon. He's just totally. There. Yeah, they made him a joke. They rendered him a joke because because modern audiences, I don't think, can understand the terror of Modoc and what Modoc was. And I don't think they knew how to how to uh, to bring forth to conjure the terror of Modoc in the tone of the film that they've created. Right. Like, it's just not it's not scary. So let's make it funny. Yeah, but you're right. Tony's face there. It looks exactly like Modoc in Quantumania. I agree. That's <laughs> I will also say this is the first time I ever heard of shawarma. <laughs> oh, is it really? It is. Um, and I mean, I live in a large urban area, and this is the first time I've heard of shawarma. And um, I, the first time I actually had shawarma was in Toronto, um, and I really enjoy shawarma. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad that, that in the, the, the little minute end, they all go out and have some shawarma. Absolutely. I do think it's funny, the fact that he noticed this uh, shawarma palace in the middle of the fight. I mean, we, we could see it in the background, but he is at this point, he's been tossed, uh, you know, it's after he's played Joan and the Whale and gone into the Leviathan, blown up and, and crashed into the street. And then all these Chitari swarm him and he's just fighting for his life before he uh, flees. I'm amazed that he had a moment to even process that there that Shawarma Palace was right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Tony Stark and we're not. Yeah, yeah for right. sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what do you? How do you think uh, Hulk looks through this? Do you do you feel that he looks um, uh, like? Is it good CG here, or is it a little bit of a rough? Hulk I, that's person. funny i don't think i've ever i it's he's never ta i'm so distracted by modok the modok minute that i don't think i've actually <laughs> ever noticed hulk not not fitting in i always i thought it was okay I mean, he's just kind of standing there like you know he's worried then he growls at tony but then he's not completely in the shot so you just kind of see parts of him i think for me it's mostly the shot after he roars when we cut to kind of that low Tony perspective close up of him when he does a little no another roar and a chest pound. That's the one to me that always like not so much like his body, but mostly his face. It just always seems a little rubbery, and I I struggle with it. But um, yeah, the the wider shots I don't have as much a problem. It's just that close up. I just mm -hmm. uh, something about it never quite never quite reads right for me. Okay, why don't they like let Hawkeye and the Black Widow? come to them why why don't they wait for them yeah i mean i guess i guess largely i mean just thinking time wise hawkeye is still stuck up on top of a building i don't know if he can i don't know if he can get down i mean i guess he'd have to break through the the emergency exit on the roof and then take the stairs or find an elevator to get down and black widow you know natasha's up at the top of stark tower with eric and and i guess they can Again, we still have no idea how they actually got down to the the penthouse uh, area to get the scepter, but I'm assuming they could take the same way down and then take an elevator. But either way, it's going to be a while uh, for them to get down. Yeah, Hawkeye's like out of arrows that would allow him to 
repel. Oh, actually, and actually, I take it back. He's not in the top. He had swung down and he crashed through. Remember, he was struggling in that suite where he kind of crashed through the glass and was he looked like he threw his back out last time we saw him. He's looking for the glowing exit sign that would show him the emergency stairs. He's just wandering the halls of some random (laughs) law firm. And uh, the elevator's probably not even working with the building having been taken as many hits as it has. He's probably slowly walking down all those stairs. Yeah, (laughs) that would be a a shawarma level cut is just show what what's happening to Hawkeye. But they're not invited to the shawarma, right? (laughs) (laughs) They just they just show up and everyone's kind of that's why everyone's so quiet, because they're just like, don't they know we didn't (laughs) want them to come? Awkward. (laughs) Yeah, they should be sitting at a different table. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, you guys wanted shawarma too? So weird. (laughs) Uh, um, My last little question with this is how do you, does this feel like a set or do you feel like this seems to be like the viaduct here in uh, Midtown Manhattan? Oh, no. This is a complete set with a green screen. It's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, that's that's where I was with it. I, I always confirmation. I mean, it's 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 nicely put together, but there's something about it that always feels like there's this level of artifice, and I struggle with that because I mean, I, I feel like I should be believing that they're in in New York here, but I was like, what is it about it? And I was like, is it the fact that there are no other people? Like, I feel like if everything's kind of quieted down, like we already knew people had been milling in the streets, we'd seen people fleeing and stuff like that. I aren't wouldn't there be other people running about and maybe it's just the fact that we're in this place and again I know it's this closure this moment between these four heroes and everything but there's something about like the fact that it just feels so vacant that leaves me feeling more like it's a set does it seem to you like there should be more people at some point or does that like what is it that's creating that level of artifice Andy it's like the entire show you've been talking about how all the people are so stupid that they keep running toward explosions. And here's the first time we actually have evidence that some of them might have run away. And we're trying to poke at that, too. <laughs> you know, absence of people and the fact that nobody in this scene moves. Right. I mean, yeah. they, they, they're on their marks and they don't move away from their marks. It's it's not as bad as like 1970s outside the car window to pretend that things are moving, right? Where you could always side <laughs> by. But it's it it's it's very it's very green. It's very set. It's very set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh well, oh well. And also, just as a reminder, for whatever reason, we still don't see any uh, pieces of the Leviathan's armor that Hulk punched and and Iron Man blew up. None of those chunk pieces of the armor are about None and the there are no chunks of leviathan here either so again further proof that iron man must have fully disintegrated it when he blew it up <laughs> <laughs> so gross yeah uh this minute comes to an end with a kind of a foreboding line from thor uh we're not finished yet as he kind of looks up toward uh, Stark Tower. And, you know, it's a nice little way to kind of close this minute. We know there's something else to uh, be dealt with. We're not going to see it in this minute. But it is. it does kind of have that nice post-victory uh, moment. And, uh, yeah, I think it plays really well. Me too. I like it. It's quiet minute. It's, you know, it's nice to have a quiet minute. It's a lull before they go beat the crap out of Loki. Right? Mm-hmm. Close it down. 
and then go eat some shawarma. I feel like I need to find my nearest shawarma place. <laughs> yeah, no Shawarma meetup, y'all. I do think that part of the quiet, because of the unspoken tension between Captain America and Iron Man, that Tony and Steve, there are things they can't express in front of other men. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Not the day, yet. the day will come. Very clear that Tony clearly is thinking about it and and sort of protesting against it, but he protests too much. And Steve wistfully is clearly thinking about it. Now that, it's done. <laughs> that moment is perfectly right here. What exactly does Thor when he says, we're not done? <laughs> oh, okay wow. on that note oh, yeah on that note. <laughs> all right <laughs> oh my well matthew uh you know we have had such a pleasure talking to you over the course of this season thank you thank you so much for joining us for all of these minutes it has been my pleasure this is a sheer joy even when my internet is not functional <laughs> we do we do the best we can absolutely well, you've got your book out there, uh, Secret, Identi uh, Secret Identity Crisis, Comic Books and the Unmasking of Cold War America. Uh, are you working on anything else uh, comic book related these days? Um, I'm writing a bunch of papers right now and seeing what happens with them. Uh, i got something coming out in the Journal of Popular Culture. Uh, got a couple of other papers in, in the works, in the pipeline. Um, but you can go find my book at Amazon or you can find it PDF for free on the Internet as somebody has offered you. Uh, and else out there. So, hey. Well, we will we will have the the link in the show notes, everybody. So check it out there. Uh, it has been a, a wonderful time talking with Matthew. Thank you so much again. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute one thirty and close out this week. So, uh, Pete, thanks as always. Oh, tomorrow, Andy. Hero moment finale. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>